Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Star Wars Saga Cast. My name is John Wilson and this is episode 32 of the show, where I'm going to be taking a look at Star Wars issue number 26 from Marvel Comics, as well as the newspaper strip stories that were also published in that month, which is May 1979. Now, as you remember, we do have two stories going, one in the Sunday strips and one in the daily strips. And in the Sunday strips, Han Solo has picked up the floating in space C-3PO and R2-D2. He has a somewhat grating female companion along for the ride with him named Jilla. And they are currently being pursued by some TIE fighters through the rings of a planet. Rings being a bunch of icy chunks. Some of the TIE fighters have gone down in the ice. And the last one remaining seems to be giving up. It's returning to its mothership. And while they're making their way through the ice chunks trying to figure out what to do next, we do finally get some background on what the heck Jill is doing along for the ride. Turns out Han Solo seems to have just been wanting to make some moves on her, taking her along for a joyride. Whenever now they're halfway across space, she's almost gotten vaporized, and she thinks that the Empire is going to think she's part of smuggling or rebellion or whatever it is that Han's up to. And just when Chewie is just starting to tell her off, they see a very large chunk of ice with some gun turrets, laser cannons coming to bear on the Falcon, and a slit opening up for them to dock. Not a peep over the spacecom. Whoever it is, they don't want the Empire to know they're here in Constancia's ice ring. Any enemy of the Empire is a friend of ours, right? Take us inside, Chewie. As they set the ship down inside, the bay doors close behind them. Han and Chewie are on their guard when a, hmm, it could be a battle droid or a human in battle armor. It's pink, and it's uh, futuristic, spacey, robo-looking stuff. Anyways, it's walking towards the Millennium Falcon, waving hello. Han comes out, and the robot takes off its head, and it's a human underneath. She has some, um... She's white-haired, you know, the white or silver, however you want to imagine it. And the hair is very short and just, like, swooped out, kind of kind of like Wolverine's hair, but, but really, like, if it were turned upside down. You know what it looks like? It looks like the front of her hair is a mustache, is what it looks like. Anyway, she comes out, she's being very, very friendly. A friend of yours has been telling me all about you. Turns out that friend is Luke Skywalker, who comes out of the shadows just then to greet his old friend. And along with a somewhat diminutive woman, a diminutive like uh, alien smallness, like a little pot-bellied thing going on. Anyway, this is Gamine. She was the passenger on Luke's ship that got destroyed at the beginning of the story. And this iceberg is a part of Constancia's planetary defense. Charlie is the woman who greeted Han at the beginning. And Charlie says, you know, Luke told us, you know, how to use battle armor, Han Solo. We have an extra suit. And Han Solo's all confused. What? Wait a minute. I just got here. What's going on? At that point, Jilla comes out, of all people, wanting to see if she can join the party. But Han Solo's attention is distracted by Gamine. And she pulls Han Solo's face down to hers, looks deep into his eyes, and gives him a telepathic lowdown on what's going on. Because the people of Constancia, some of them have learned how to use telepathy. And they're the only known race in the galaxy who can do so. 
And when I read that, I was trying to rack my brain to see if there are any other races that can use telepathy that we've run across so far in the stories. And for the life of me, I can't remember any um, other than force based communication from mind to mind. I don't know of any races that we've seen so far that have inborn telepathy. Lots of Superman things come to mind, such as the Atlanteans and mermaids and stuff like that, but nothing in Star Wars. In any case, the Empire wants to capture her people, learn their secrets, and try to put it to Imperial use. And Han Solo, tired of the mental context, says, Enough! Bring the battle armor to me. I'd rather face a sky full of Empire Star Destroyers than go through that again. And that is where the Constancia affair leaves off for the month. So we're starting to have some some forward motion in our storyline. Interesting stuff going on. We've finally seen Luke again, who looks very young. Russ Manning, well, it's the same guy drawing the daily strips. He draws a very young Luke Skywalker and coloring it very blonde. The kid has very, very yellow hair. It's not long and flowing like Carmine Infantino gives him. It's a more, you know, respectable shortness. Um, Han Solo looks like he has um, a very coiffed hairdo. He also looks kind of young. It may just be the style that the artist has when he draws faces. Because Han Solo, I mean, he's, what, a 35-year-old man or 30? He, he looks like he could be 17 or 18 in this picture here. But that, I think that, starting to think that's just the artist's style. He draws a mean stormtrooper, though. I love the stormtrooper we get on this page. But that's the end of that part of the story. We also have the Daily Strips, which are running a story entitled Gambler's World. And last time we left off, C-3PO was trying to catch up with Luke Skywalker and Leia, who'd been captured by stormtroopers. But he had also been accosted by several Freelies who wanted to take him back for their own and use him. He had called for a police droid. The police droid had shown up. The Freelies had dropped him. And that's where we last left C-3PO. R2-D2 shows up right about then. You didn't run off and leave me. It was you who brought the police droid. Oh, R2... And I I think he's going to kiss him, but he doesn't. They make their way to the spaceport together. But there are so many ships that C-3PO is not sure which one could possibly hold their masters, Luke and Leia. R2-D2 reminds him, though, that he heard the people talking, so he should use his protocol droid skill set and identify the accent of the people he heard. And so, of course, C-3PO remembers they were Harakian, and turns out there are only two Harakian ships on pads right now. So they go to the first one, and the dockmaster pretty much tells them off. Unauthorized droids are not allowed on board, or in the area. Blast off. Not a very nice guy, if you think about it. Happily, though, this is not even the ship they need, because they look across the way and see the same hover car that kidnapped Princess Leia and Master Luke, and it is sitting over by the other Harakian ship. Now, they are forbidden to get on board without their owner, and so C-3PO just doesn't know what to do. R2-D2, though, has a clever idea of finding another owner. What? Have you no feelings, no compassion? Master Luke kidnapped, and all you think of is finding another owner? R2-D2, of course, means a Harakian who can just get them aboard the ship. And whenever he starts rolling off to get this taken care of, C-3PO is left in his dust. This is madness. But at that moment, Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker are in the grips of Black Hole and his stormtroopers under paralysis beams. I know why you rebels came to Vorzid 5. Now tell me the name of your contact. But of course, Princess Leia doesn't know the name of the contact she's supposed to meet here. That was part of the deal. And so she can stay with 
with pretty good confidence that she has no idea what Black Hole is talking about. And that's when Black Hole pulls out a interrogation droid. Your fellow conspirators have already met my little friend here. And Leia's eyes go wide. Now, I'm very curious to see how they handle this in this story. Because, of course, Leia has very huge issues with interrogation droids and how they've treated her in the past. Before we get to see Leia's reaction to the mind probe, however, we change scenes to a cantina. C-3PO and R2-D2 walk in, and they get the usual rigmarole from the pub owner. Hey, you droids, we don't allow tin cans in here. Blast off! But C-3PO sounds an alarm. Attention, all Rakian spacemen, emergency lift orders. See, this cantina is full of people from all different walks of life and all different parts of the galaxy. And so they're hoping to get the, the, to find at least one Rakian. And turns out they do. A sort of dumb-faced looking guy named Branox finds his way out of his cups, staggers out the door, and C-3PO is very happy to give him his support and help him get on board the ship. The Dockmaster lets them pass because, of course, he thinks that Branox owns the two droids. And once inside the Harakian spaceship, they sort of leave Branox in a corner and go and find the ship's droid control. They claim to be there for repairs. R2-D2 plugs into the computer console and... <whistles> you found Master Luke? Is he all right? R2 brings up a visual and C-3PO sees their plight, that they are under a mind probe about to be tortured. And so R2-D2 turns off the paralysis beams and C-3PO hollers through the intercom that Luke and Leia can now escape. They get up on their feet, along with two other rebels, or at least someone who's captured with them, a human male and some sort of badger-looking humanoid, and they all rush together. They rush the stormtroopers, blast them down. Of course, Black Hole is just a hologram, so he can't be taken down. I'll return. You cannot escape from this ship. Bloop. I do see a shot of Princess Leia blasting the Mind Pro with a blaster. Good girl. And as they're running down the hallway, to your left, Master Luke... Listen, there's something more stormtroopers. We're cut off. They have stormtroopers coming down from both different branches of an intersection. And so Luke's hauling for 3PO. Can you hear me? We're trapped. And R2-D2 has an excellent idea. Oh, but then the badger guy gets shot down and it looks like his name was Falud. So Falud is down and looks like the other guy who's with them is named Paxson. How they met these people, I don't know, as it happened off camera. Anyways, R2's awesome idea is to put fire extinguisher foam all over the stormtroopers. And while they're stunned and distracted, Luke and Leia barrel through them and keep on running down the hall. And that's where our month of strips leaves us for Gambler's World. So... Um, quite a bit more action here. Dig in the story. I've heard a lot of positive reviews of the newspaper strips online. Now, Russ Manning is the one who's done all of the writing and art so far. He's, he does not stay on the strip. It eventually goes to some other people. I want to say Al Williamson. I could be wrong on that one. Archie Goodwin, maybe. I don't know. But we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. And hopefully the newspaper strips will be kind of a highlight for us. We don't get a whole lot of story each month, but they're looking like they will be fun. But of course, our main event, the one you've been waiting for, is Star Wars Issue 26, Adventures Beyond the Greatest Space Fantasy Film of All. And on the cover, we see Luke Skywalker 
very shocked and dismayed as he sees before him the body of R2-D2 with a hole blasted through it. Behind him, there's somebody in a spacesuit with a blaster. And also on the other direction behind him, there's a crashed TIE fighter. And the title of the story is Doom Mission. Talk about an effective cover, though. This is very, very shocking and eye-catching. I mean, it's a droid, right? So he can be repaired, which is probably the only reason they can get away with it on the cover. Because if this were a person with a big old gaping hole staring out of him, I don't think that would get the Comics Code of Authority stamp at the top of the page. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. Archie Goodwin is our writer and editor. Carmine Infantino and Bob Viacek are our artists. John Costanza is the letterer. Petra Goldberg is the colorist. Welcome, Petra. Haven't seen you before. And Jim Shooter is the consulting editor. Homecoming. A not-so-funny thing happened to Luke, Leia, and the droids returning to the Yavin system. They discovered Imperial Raiders in Alliance territory and got discovered themselves. We see the ship that they bought last issue with TIE fighters shooting it from behind, blasting it to pieces. It's no use. Our communicator's out. One engine's gone and our shields are failing. Even the Force couldn't save us now. R2-D2 is trying to put out fires and he breeps and freeps at C-3PO who says, Why haven't I said anything about being doomed as I usually do? Because Master Luke already seems to be saying it, and somehow it sounds far more convincing from him. Which is like a pretty funny thing. It's, it's like one of those things, you know, if I had like a dollar every time C-3PO declared they were doomed, you know, I could probably afford to have them all doomed. Anyways, so... Anyways, so Princess Leia is on the guns trying to shoot the TIE fighters, and Luke wonders how a girl from a planet with no weapons get so good with them. Promise to get us out of here, flyboy, and I'll tell you. It's a good question, though. I mean, Alderaan's peaceful. We have no weapons. This is what she said in the film, right? But, but she's pretty good on those guns. But they have just about had it, and so Luke orders everybody to, es- to the escape pod. And just then, a rebel reconnaissance patrol of X-Wing fighters blasts their way in. Luke watches one of the TIE ships crash on one of the moons. R2, 3PO, if you keep the flames at bay a little longer, we might make it after all. And the X-Wings escort the little ship into the atmosphere of Yavin's fourth moon, where there is a very pleasant reunion between Leia and General Dodonna. Princess, we'd given you and young Skywalker up as lost. We brought news, General Dodonna, but I'm afraid it isn't good. So Luke and Leia fill in the general and everything they learned last issue about how a general tag ship is coming in and dropping off squads of TIE fighters, which then do some sort of artificial storm creation to go through a corridor of the atmospheres of Yavin where there must be some kind of space station down below providing a base from which they can keep striking at the rebels. Luke thinks they could, you know, they get cracked up in the Death Star. Surely they can destroy this thing. But Dodonna points out that they had the plans to the Death Star. 
We could lose every T-65 we possess just trying to find the station in that poisonous soup. But of course, the TIE fighters come and go every time they raid the rebels. And even though rebel ships don't have the tag technology, the TIE fighters do. And one of them went down instead of being vaporized. If it had some signal unit like the general figures, that thing might still be intact. So he goes and boards an X-Wing to go and see if he can do some recovery. I like the initiative that Luke is showing here. Since it's a comic book and comic books are all about action and playing things to the nth degree, it kind of comes off as impulsiveness. But, you know, it makes a lot of sense that this would be the best way to do it. And so going up and getting that ship, that makes a lot of sense. Now, once they land there, of course, it does turn out he was a bit impulsive because he doesn't have quite as much cover as he needs. The pilot of the downed TIE fighter is still alive and he watches the rebels approaching and decides that, well, you know, as long as I'm forced to use the remote destruct, at least I'm taking my enemy with me. Luke and R2-D2 get to the ship and Luke is confused by a unit on the main panel. No, R2, not there. I said the main panel. Why are you ripping out wiring when, R2, that's a proton-charged detonator? Somehow, R2-D2 broke the connection to the detonator so the self-destruct sequence wouldn't work. The pilot jumps out and blasts R2-D2 right in the hull. Luke Skywalker shoots him back down and looks over to see his damaged friend. It is some time later before his ship reappears at the Rebel base. Luke, we were getting frantic. And the reason for the delay is that he had to do all the work without R2's help, because R2 is now a little better than scrap. They pull out his body from the cockpit of the ship, and C-3PO immediately goes into worry mode. Oh dear, it's like the Death Star battle all over again. Do you think it will take long to repair him, sir? I guess that depends on how much the Imperial blockade has affected supplies. And affected supplies would be an understatement. They have very, very few working extra parts. There's some working R2 units that could use his parts. I know you're fond of that little droid, but after all, it's... And the technician then gets a finger in his chest as Luke Skywalker screams, Don't tell me he's only a machine! Which really is kind of a touching moment, actually as R2-D2 is carried off on an anti-grav platform with Luke Skywalker and C-3PO on either side, Leia lowers her eyes in sadness at what might become of their friend R2. You know, he's been with the Rebellion ever since its beginning. I honestly have no idea how old the critter is, because he was already well-used and well-worn whenever he showed up in The Phantom Menace. So, he's been around for a while. It's possible one of the most important people in the Rebellion... And now it might be over. I mean, not really, though. It's comics. He's not dead. And it's Star Wars. He's got to be back for the next movie. But, you know, we've we got to go with the moment now. D- did, I, did I ruin the moment? Oh, sorry. Later that night, Luke's alone with his thoughts when Leia approaches and asks him what he's doing. And Luke regrets having jumped off in that Y-Wing without any kind of plan. And he thinks the reason he did that is because he was trying to make up for not completing his original mission. Because if you remember way the heck back in Star Wars number eight, Luke Skywalker was sent off to find other base locations safe away from the Empire. And Princess Leia points out that other pilots also went out on the same mission and some of them never even made it back. Every mission can't be a success, Luke. War just isn't that simple. And that's when General Dodonna comes up the stairs toward them, talking about how they're going to need Luke Skywalker for another mission. But you'll throw away the life of the man who destroyed the Death Star. Evidently, Princess Leia knows what this mission is going to be, 
and does not like the fact that they're sending Luke on it because it feels like suicide. We have some great images of her upset and distraught and down, her eyes downcast. But then Luke says, you know, nobody seems to be asking me, but if you need a volunteer general, I guess you've got him. Now, how about showing me what I'm in for? And it does seem like a suicide mission because he's going to be flying a TIE fighter fitted with the tag signal device that Luke recovered from the uh, down TIE fighter on the moon. And his mission is to use the signaling device, fly down the storm corridor, and use his proton charges to destroy whatever is creating the storm corridor, which means it will no longer be possible for Luke to survive in the atmosphere of the planet, and he'll probably crash and burn. Luke climbs in, and off he goes. And within the ancient ruins of Yavin, Leia has not trusted herself to watch the actual launch. What kind of example would she be if a princess, senator, leader, and symbol of the Rebel Alliance showed that she cries? So Leia is Leia is really, really attached to Luke at this point. This is pretty intense. I mean, there's definitely some love and romance going on here. It It's more than I remembered. And it's definitely more than we can see explained away easily by Empire Strikes Back. But, of course, we're going to have to deal with that when we get there. I'm just, wow. The very idea of Luke flying off, she's really sad about it. You know, you know what? Okay, just throwing this out there. People get confused about their feelings, right? Uh, you, you, sometimes you feel like you're hungry when you're actually thirsty, uh, sometimes you feel like you have one kind of affection for a person. Whenever it turns out you really have something else. And maybe this affection that she has for Luke that she's interpreting is something romantic, or at least she occasionally interprets it that way whenever she kisses him. Maybe this is just the attachment for him that she's thinking about in a return of the Jedi when she says, somehow I've always known. She feels a rapport for Luke. She feels an affection for Luke. And it's not really romantic, even though she gets it confused with possibly romantic feelings. Just kind of spitballing off the top of my head here, but maybe that could explain why she has all this attachment for him, even at these early days. Well, we then leave the princess behind and rejoin Luke on his mission. Inside the TIE fighter, flying toward the atmosphere of Yavin, he turns on the signaling device, and sure enough, the storm starts whirling in the atmosphere. It becomes a sort of cyclone vortex, and he goes down the calm eye at its center, and we get a full-page splash of a giant turbine stirring up the gases with the House of Tag ship from last issue moored to its side. This is a massive, massive vessel exactly what Luke was looking for, and aboard the mining explorer that is moored there, Baron Tag, the turbine station reports a lone TIE fighter is approaching. The Baron is once again at his lightsaber practice. He recaps for us all of his reasons for doing all these things to make sure that the rebels are taken care of and that the house of Tag is elevated and that the wizard Darth Vader is destroyed when suddenly, whoom, there's a big ruckus. As Luke Skywalker has just put one of his proton charges into the turbine station's TIE fighter hangar. Luke's having difficulty seeing what he's doing when he's not actually in the corridor because of all the gases. But he's doing his best to place the charges on the turbines and they do the job. Once some start to blow, they all swiftly follow and the turbine is a huge mass of exploding shrapnel. And Luke Skywalker realizes that his successful accomplishment of his mission has faded and he is alone, 
fighting to trim and keep together a ship refitted in haste, pushed beyond capability and desperation. Alone, lost without instruments amid swirling, colliding gases that are the planet Yavin, no way to mark up or down the path of salvation or destruction. But Luke has one advantage that other pilots wouldn't normally have. Luke has the Force. Thanks to my father, to Ben Kenobi, I have a special gift. No one should have to die on a mission like this when I've got it to use, only I haven't mastered it. But I've been meditating, expanding my feeling. I've used the ability in smaller tests, but this is the first time I've consciously planned to use it. And sure enough, he does succeed in getting himself out of the atmosphere. And Luke's reward for his faith is the knowledge that he is able to use this growing ability another day in the battle against the Empire. The House of Tag ship has also managed to make it out. They were following Luke's TIE fighter with the purposes of destroying him as recompense for destroying their turbine. But as it turns out, they followed him until they made it out of the atmosphere. And Baron Tag is very upset. He did the impossible, Shanks, and ruined my chances of showing up Darth Vader in the process. Someday I'll learn his secret. Then do to Luke Skywalker worse than the Sith Lord did to me. I'm not sure how he knew that it was Luke Skywalker that did it. Um, it seems like knowledge that he shouldn't have. But in any case, that is the end of the story. The next issue, the attempt to restore R2-D2 may be doomed by the return of the hunter, which is the character we met way back in issue 16. And now in issue 27, next episode, we'll be seeing his return. I am very much looking forward to that. So I like that we've brought things back to the rebellion. I like that we've reconnoitered with the headquarters there. It's all well and good to have adventurers out and about, you know, battling random space bad guys and everything. But but Luke and Leia and Han Solo are not just space adventurers. They are part of an organization. They have a mission. They have roots that they have to get back to. This isn't Star Trek where they're just out doing whatever comes across their path. This is Star Wars. They're fighting a war. And to have them come back to their home base and reestablish ties there, that was very, very cool to see. Uh, R2-D2's fate has not been resolved, so that's interesting. I hope that he—well, of course, we know that he's going to be better, but I hope that that's resolved quickly so that C-3PO won't be worried, if nothing else. And yeah, it looks like this story was just a little two-parter. It looks like it's all wrapped up. I don't know if Baron Tag is going to be back in the next issue or not, though I'm sure he's going to come back down the road at some point. And we'll just have to wait and see if that is next time or later. So be back with us for issue 27 next episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air in special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga Cast at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars Saga Cast.com or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga Cast. So thank you very much for listening, and until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga Cast, and good night.